0: Listen closely, everyone in the room today has been hurt by someone and everyone in the room today has hurt someone. Now that statement alone will change your life if you internalize it.
1: Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch.
0: Father, as I yield myself to you right now, God, I pray that you would empty me of me, Got to pray that we would hear a powerful word from heaven tonight. Got to pray that hearts, homes, relationships, at home, in the church, at work, I pray that those relationships and those hearts will be radically transformed tonight. So, God, I just ask that you would just speak in a mighty way. God, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit in this room that that you would speak in such a way, with such clarity. With such pinpoint accuracy, God, that I pray that each one of us, myself at the top of the list, would leave a different person than how we walked in this room. God, I pray that we would begin to grasp the weightiness of being a disciple of Jesus. I pray that we will grasp and we will embrace the seriousness of being a disciple of Jesus. I pray that we'll internalize it to the point that that we'll be changed from the inside out. And that we will not live just an external Christian life with all the trappings and trimmings, but we begin to live an internal Christian life that as the heart overflows with realness of who Christ is and what He did and how He stood in our place, that it now becomes just an outflow. We don't say we have to, we begin to shout we get to. As we are going, we just simply go and make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. And so, God, we just ask, move me out of the way. Hide me behind the shadows of the cross. Oh, I pray tonight, oh God, that you again would speak with such dynamite that we simply could not resist. And we would throw ourselves at the foot of the cross as we're driven to the foot of the cross tonight. Oh, God, we love you. We thank you. We worship you, we give you praise, we give you glory, we give you honor. Worthy is the lamb that was slain, worthy is the lamb that went in the grave. But oh, praise be to God, worthy is the lamb that on the third day bolted from the grave, that he stands in victory. And as that song says, sin has lost its curse on me. Oh God, to you be the praise. Oh God, to you be the glory in advance for what you're about to do. And we pray this in the mighty and the matchless name of King Jesus as we proclaim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We pray this in the name that's above every name. And his name is Jesus, do we pray. And all God's people said, Amen, amen. Take your Bible and go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18. As we are looking at our final session together here and again excited and I just, I'm expecting, I'm I'm believing, I I just know God's going to do something tonight. I can't wait. As we get obedient and get honest and open and transparent, because here's what I've learned. I've learned this in my walk, in my brokenness, in my wickedness. And and the reality is you got to understand this, that, that when people begin to see that you're real, when people begin to see that your life really has been transformed, your past, again, has no power over you, but you can use your past as a launching pad, as a billboard for the glory of God, that you can say, this is the man I used to be. This is the woman I used to be. I'm no longer the same. I've been bought by the most precious, righteous, royal blood of Jesus Christ. And this is what he did for me. He can do the same for you. It just thrills my heart to think of what he's going to do here in these moments. I pray you have a, a pen, pencil, a lipstick, super glue, something to write with. Because you know I like to give notes and I believe it's good to take notes, not so that we, again, are legalistic. It's just so that we learn. And so I pray you have something ready to write on, an offering envelope, I don't know, maybe even the hymnal, I'm sure God will forgive us if you've got to. Right on the hymnal. I'm not encouraging that, but we want you to take notes and and, and write these things down. Secondly, everyone should have a sheet of paper that looks something like this. Does everyone have one of these? If you don't, uh, would you slip up your hand if you don't have one of these? We want to get this to you. Does anyone not have one of these? I've got a couple folks in the very back. If we can maybe uh, get a couple of those over there uh, to our ushers, thank you. Anyone else, just get that hand high everyone needs one of these and here's what I'm going to ask you to do as we go through our time together tonight okay uh, because this is pivotal okay this is pivotal uh, don't mess what I'm going to say next because mission critical we can leave here tonight and for you that are able to attend tomorrow morning I know that people got to work and whatever but for those that are going to be able to attend it's going to be great we're going to kind of send you out if you will kind of one final wrap up some encouragement some prayer uh, just sending you forth but for you that can't make it this is your your last time with us, so to speak, here in these revival settings. I want you to understand this. Please hear my heart on this. The end of the revival is not tonight. Like if you've come here thinking, okay, finally, we get rid of this clown. Clown. The reality is revival doesn't end now. The the whole point of these gatherings is to spark and to stoke the embers of revival that once we separate here and God sends us forth, that we go forth in power. We go forth in confidence. We go forth shouting and proclaiming since my God is for me who can be against me? Oh, we go with great boldness saying greater is he that's within me than he that's in, my, in the world. You begin to go forth in such a way that the revival is just beginning and will go forth all the days of your life. And so here's what I want you to do on this piece of paper as the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart tonight. And I pray he speaks to my heart as I have my paper right here. And I pray he speaks to your heart tonight. I want you to immediately write down what he's saying to you in this regard, in particular. Unconfessed sin. Perhaps it's someone that there's been a breakdown with, and that person and you need to be restored. Whatever God gives to you as the message goes forth tonight, I want you to write it down. I want you to write it down. And because if you write it down, you're you're marking the line in the sand. You're saying, I'm gonna identify it. See, Satan doesn't want us to identify it, because if we don't identify it, then we keep it buried. If you keep it buried, you keep it suppressed. And if you keep it suppressed, we think it's gone. But what really happens is the infection just gets worse. It's when we begin to expose it to the light that it loses its power. That's why the enemy hates the light. If we bring it to the light, that's where freedom is. If we bring it to the light, that's where growth is. If we bring it to the light, that's where relationships are restored and reconciled. If we bring it to the light, that's where Jesus is. And you may be saying, you don't understand, preacher, that you know, the person I'm dealing with, the The relationship issue, you just don't understand. This thing is far too gone. I don't know the details of your situation, but I know this, that there is nothing too big for my God. That you might be standing tonight at the edge of your Red Sea. That you might be standing at the edge of your Jordan River, and you're looking going, how in the world is this going to work out Or maybe you're asking this question, which we're so tempted to ask as human beings. How am I ever going to fix this? Problem number one, right? How am I going to fix this? No, we give it all to Jesus. We submit everything to Jesus. That's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to submit everything to him, yield everything to him. We've got to remember that when we come to Jesus with fists that are clenched, Here's what I've learned in my life and my brokenness and all the challenges I've been through in my life as I hang on to the things that I want, and my plans, my hopes, my dreams, and I hang on and I clench the fist. And I say, here, Jesus, here I am. And I'm clenching. What I've learned is this, that when my fists are clenched, He can't put anything in my hand. But when I freely just surrender my hopes, my dreams, my plans, and yield to Him and surrender to Him, look what happens. He can gloriously put things in your hands. Perhaps you're here tonight, and perhaps the breakdown of revival in your life is maybe you're clenching too hard to this world. Think about that for a moment as we launch into this text. Where's your home? Not where's your street address? No, I'm asking, where's your home? Like, really, where's your home? Like, when push comes to shove, is this earth your home? Jesus says that those who are for him, and we are strangers in this world. We are in it, but not of it. We're just passing through here today and gone tomorrow. Life is but a vapor. Where's your home? Because where you view your home to be will reveal who or what you are enslaved to. Where you view your home to be will now reveal who or what you are enslaved to. Now, the word enslaved sounds negative. I want to be enslaved to Jesus, amen? Paul said, I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He used the word in the Greek, the dolos. That's a bond servant. It's a willing slave that willingly gives up their rights. Well, we've heard something about that, haven't we? That willingly denies self, that willingly takes up the cross, that willingly follows Him, that says, My life is no longer my own. Here, I wanna give you everything. I wanna throw everything on you. Oh, the Lord Jesus Christ, all of the wrath of God, the sin was thrown on Him. He absorbed it. Man, we need to just take our lives and say, Here, I wanna throw all that on you too. Just take my life and use it as a vessel for you, for the fame of your name, for that neon side from that billboard. that makes much of you and says, oh, how great is my God. He's transformed my life. Oh, let me share what He did for me and He can do it for you. But so many times there's this breakdown in the midst of all of that. And I think it's the number one reason that I see, especially in men, as I preach to men's groups. But I think it's also a glaring reason in women of why we're not experiencing individual revival. And here it is. The issue we see often among men and women today is not materialism, not insecurity, not lack of self-worth. No, these are just simply byproducts of the real issue. And the real issue I see is unforgiveness. And in many contexts, especially when I'm dealing with men and men's ministry, typically the overarching area where they're being held back in personal revival is unforgiveness, especially to wounds from an earthly father. I see this everywhere I go, men that are 50, 60, 70, 80, and they're still waiting. And maybe you women are here today and maybe you're in the same boat. You're still waiting for dad to say, I love you. For dad to say, I'm proud of you. For dad to affirm you. And it will send you on a downward spiral That unless it's dealt with, will wreck every one of your relationships. See, tonight's all about forgiveness. And the title I want you to write down is simply this. Setting myself free by forgiving others. Think on that for a moment. The title tonight is Setting Myself Free. How? By forgiving others. If you really want revival in your church, if you really want revival in your heart, if you really want revival in your home, if you really want revival in your business or the ball team, You are going to have to employ these biblical principles of forgiveness. We live in a culture that we are not isolated. We deal with people. And people, like I am, are broken and sinful. They rub us the wrong way. Uh, They say things that, whether they meant to or not, offend us. We get all bent out of shape. Now there's discord. Now there are issues. And before we know it, we got a hot mess on our hands, don't we? Forgiveness. Here's the springboard thought, and I want you to just marinate on this thought as I springboard into our text tonight. If you cannot forgive yourself, and don't miss that, those who have harmed you in the past and someone else's failures from today and in tomorrow, here's the result. Your life will continually be in a cul de sac going nowhere. As I believe that one of, if not the greatest hindrance to revival, is unforgiveness towards others. We gotta deal with it, we gotta face it head on, gotta face your fears. You don't have to do it alone. See, that's the glorious part of this. You don't have to do this alone. Christ Jesus, as He went to that cross, He stood in your place. He defended you. He's going to do the same when you live for Him. When you say, hey, I need to extend forgiveness so that maybe it is that Father who hurt you. And perhaps you're here tonight and maybe you have dealt with some serious, serious hurt. Like demonic things. And if that's you, my heart goes out to you. But we got to understand this deep, deep truth. When we try to hold the other person hostage for what they did to us, the only person that's in jail is us. I know way too many people that are in jail. And they think they're punishing the other person and the other person has no clue what's going on. Setting myself free by forgiving others as we're driven to the cross of Jesus Christ. Matthew 18, here it is, verse 21. Let's look at this together and ask God to pierce our hearts like only He can. Matthew 18, 21 says this, Then Peter came to Him, here's Peter again, to Jesus and said, here's his words as he's talking, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Kind of funny, isn't it? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. 23, here goes Jesus. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like A certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants, and when he'd begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Don't miss that. Make a note of that in your Bible. We're going to come back, because this is mission critical in this parable. Verse 25. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. Woo, This is steep, isn't it? 26, the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, now listen to these words, very key. Have patience with me and I will pay you all. Make a note of that. 27, then the master that servant was moved with compassion, released him, forgave him the debt. Now look at 28, how the story changes. But that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. Don't miss what just happened there. We're going to talk about this. But that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Make a note of that as well. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, listen to these words. Have you heard these before? Have patience with me and I will pay you all. Hmm. 30. And he would not but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. 31. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were grieved. Don't miss that. Let me read that again. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were grieved. And they came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? 34 and 35, and his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Wow, oh wow. This is heavy stuff, isn't it? Straight from God's Word. See, God's Word is powerful. God's Word is potent. God's Word goes deep into every joint and every marrow. And yet it's also very convicting at times, isn't it? You look at what happened here in this context. We won't go through it for sake of time, but chapter 18 begins with the disciples asking, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Wow, isn't that glorious? They want to know who the greatest is. And then we see Jesus' warning of offenses and the parable of the lost sheep. Then we have these glorious verses in 15 and 17 of chapter 18 dealing with and expounding on dealing with a sinning brother or sister. And then all of a sudden in 21 through 35 we roll into the parable of the unforgiving servant. And don't miss this. If we were to continue into chapter 1 of 19, we see Jesus speaking on marriage and divorce. Do you see how all of this so seamlessly fits together? It's not happenstance, it's God's word. And here in this glorious text, as we go vertical now, let's look at verse 21. And as we look at verse 21, I want to make this statement. Listen closely. Everyone in the room today has been hurt by someone and everyone in the room today has hurt someone. Now that statement alone will change your life if you internalize it. Because we all know, we all know, I don't have to do a show of hands, right? We all know, if I said, hey, who's been hurt? Man, we got both arms up, both legs up, our tongue sticking out, right? All in the name of Jesus. I mean, we're voting yes, yes, and more yes. But now if we go, now how many of us have hurt someone? We're not as excited to confess that, are we? Now the door swings both ways. And we got to remember this. Because so many times, yes, so many times there has been justifiable towards us that we should be righteously angry. Uh, There's things, I'm sure, in a room this size that have been done to some people in this room that is just from the pit of hell to be blunt. And we're not endorsing that in any way, shape, or form. But what we are saying is this, is that if Jesus can forgive a wretch like me and a wretch like you, we need to begin to extend the same forgiveness. Now, I'm going to talk about what that looks like here in a moment. I want to be very clear because I want to talk about this because probably right now you're going, hey, this has been done to me, and are you just saying uh, we just kind of, everyone joins back together and we kind of go off as we float on clouds and play harps and sing kumbayas, we eat bonbons? I'm going to explain that here in a moment. Verse 21, here it is. Then Peter came to him and said... Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? Here goes Peter again. We talked about this this morning. I Man, Peter loves to talk, doesn't he? I can picture Peter. I think he was one rough dude. He was ta- just talking, and there he is, spitting this and doing this. And I can just see him being gruff, fisherman. And here he is, and he volunteers this information. How many, Jesus? Uh, seven times? Kind of throwing that out there. Kind of, hey, this is relatively high. Here's what I want you to make a note of in this verse 21, that word forgiveness. Just write that down in your notes. Write down the word forgiveness. And here's what it means. It means to pardon. And you can go even deeper, to release someone from indebtedness let's even go deeper let's drill down deep because we want revival amen we want awakening we want reformation in our lives and if this is a hindrance if you're right now going man this guy's reading my mail because this is a major issue in my life that's the holy spirit speaking and if you want to get free you can get set free now like this tonight can change the course of your life forever Here's deeper forgiveness to pardon, to pardon the excusing of an offense after the person is convicted without a penalty as though the offense never happened. Again, I'm going to drill down deeper on that in just a moment. Write down 1 John 1 9, a great, great text. Because I want to go back for just a second here as we're talking about forgiveness. Perhaps you're here tonight and you're one in the crowd that the person that you need to forgive is yourself, that you're living in self condemnation. I see that a lot. Most of us struggle with that as we try to live for the Lord because the enemy, man, the enemies I said earlier, the enemy doesn't go, hey, you want to surrender to Jesus? You want to make a difference? Uh, you want to be a city on a hill? You want to start revival? Satan doesn't go, hey, um, let me get the door for you. No, he comes at you with one bullseye on you, after another. One quiver of fiery darts. One quiver of fiery darts. When that's empty, he grabs and gets another, and he gets another quiver, and he pounds your sails to try to beat you into submission. And the reality, as we think through this, is that we have to forgive ourselves because Jesus forgave us. First John one nine. This is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. If we confess our sins, in the original language, it means this, to say the same thing. We're agreeing with God. So whatever your struggle with is tonight, if it's unforgiveness, maybe it's something else. Maybe you don't have unforgiveness towards somebody else, but you are dealing with some other indwelling sin. Here's the deal with sin that we got to bring into the light to expose it. So we are confessing. We're saying, God, here it is. You fill in the blank. Here's my sin. Fill in the blank. You're agreeing with him that this is not of him. This is not holy. This is not what he wants for my life. If we confess our sins, here we go. Then here's what he's going to do. He's faithful and just to forgive. What does forgive mean? To release someone from indebtedness. The excusing of an offense after the person is convicted without a penalty as though the offense never happened. He is faithful and just to forgive, but now he even goes a step further. This is how great Jesus is. This is how great our God is. We not only get forgiven and no more penalty from that, but it says this, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's glorious, isn't it? If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, say the same thing. Here's what he's going to do if we simply just get honest and open. Proverbs tells us this, that you know, if we bring into the light, if we confess our sins, we will receive mercy. But if we cover them, if we're not confessing them, we will not prosper. The hindrance to revival so often is unforgiveness, but it goes much deeper. Many times it's just simply unconfessed sin. 1 John 1.9. Let me read 8 through 10 as well, just to give you context of 1 John 1.9. I love this. If we say that we have no sin, verse 8, we deceive ourselves. Wow, okay. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? What does deceive mean? We talked about that, right? To be seduced, to be tricked, to be led astray. I mean, how many people got up this morning going, I can't wait to deceive myself. I can't wait to get to the church house to deceive myself. Well, of course we didn't. But that's how tricky the enemy is, isn't he? That's how wicked and frail my flesh is. I can't blame God when I sin. James tells us each one is drugged away by their own sinful desires. I can't blame you, even though we live in a blame-shifting culture, don't we? I call it spiritual hot potato. Wasn't my fault, his fault, her fault. I mean, it's great. You can go order a hot cup of coffee, a hot one, and I can blame everyone else, even though I spelled it And somehow I can win a lawsuit for millions of dollars. That's utter insanity is what that is. We live in a blame-shifting, spiritual, hot potato, past-the-buck society. It's everyone else's problem but me. Now, i got to look at the man in the mirror every morning and say, John, you're the deal, you're the problem, face it head-on, under the righteous blood of Jesus Christ, and He will make all things new. Because when you pass the buck, the sin is not getting removed. It's just getting passed around. We want sin to be eradicated in our lives. Make a note of this that as I continue to read here in verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive, as I mentioned, our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, verse ten if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So I'm deceiving myself and I'm calling God a liar. Wow. That's serious stuff, Aaron. That's why one of the great Puritans, Jonathan Edwards, made this statement. He said, pride is the worst viper in the heart. Think about that. At the root of all sin is my pride. And it goes back to what we talked about earlier. Deny self. It's the hardest thing we'll ever do. Because no one's more of a fan of me than me. No one's more of a fan of you than you. And yet Jesus says, here's the deal. You win by losing. You gain your life by dying. Surrender's where it happens, at the foot of the cross. That's where revival is made new. And you see rejuvenation of the soul. Now, I want to make a note here. Here it is. Don't miss this. Forgiveness is not. Please hear me on this. Forgiveness is not saying that's okay. Make a note of that, that when you've been harmed, you're not saying that's okay. As parents, we do a lousy job of this. I'm guilty. This is a parent. Uh, Our children, you know, they were getting squabbles, and what do we tell them? Well, they're squabbling, and, you know, a little brother comes out, and you know he's got a welt on this on his head the size of Arizona. You know, and you're kind of like, what in the world just happened in the other room? I was ten feet away, and of course the blame shifting, right? Him, 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 and we finally get to the meat of the matter and we figure it out. And unfortunately, I blow it because what I would say, or I did blow it when they were younger, and I would say. Okay, apologize to him. I'm sorry. Now, what do you say to him? And they would say, that's okay. Well, it's not okay because sin's not okay. So if you've been greatly hurt, you need to release that person, but you're not saying it's okay. You could go real deep into this from a psychology standpoint with manipulation and all that goes on and... Uh, There's people that will run with that and they will take advantage of that. No, you release them and let God deal with that. But you release them. Are Are we tracking here? You release. You release. Unless you want to be in a self imposed prison the rest of your life, you've got to release. Two, forgiveness is not saying that trust will be restored immediately. Trust is only rebuilt. Trust is only rebuilt when both parties agree to work at it over time. But I would make this note: just make sure you're not the one holding up the process. If you're in a situation right now and it's unforgiveness and bitterness is sunk in, oh. I can't believe they did that to me. I'm going to show them. I know people who've made it their mission. As they destroy every other relationship in their life, they got one mission, and that's to punish the person who hurt them decades ago. And they're destroying everyone else in their wake. And the enemy's over there with his pom-poms just cheering this thing on. Keep going. This is awesome. He's going, this was easy, actually. Keep going. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Look at verse 22. Here's Jesus' response to Peter. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but what? Up to 70 times seven. You could say here that Jesus really throws off the gloves here, so to speak, doesn't he? He shows how vast and how freely we should extend forgiveness through this parable. That's why key number one, write this down. Key number one, here it is. Key number one, you're going to need this probably by the time you get in the parking lot. Here we go. Key number one Jesus extends unlimited forgiveness, and we must do the same. Jesus extends unlimited forgiveness. And we must do the same. Like the Pharisees, we often put a cap on extending forgiveness. They often said three times was the limit. So here Peter is. We can make the argument that you know, he's rationalizing. He's going above. If they think it's three, then, hey, a seven sounds pretty good. Make a note here. Asking for forgiveness requires humility. And extending forgiveness requires humility. Hey, don't miss this. Like, whatever side of the fence you're on in this war going on in your life with these relationships, humility needs to take place by both parties. If you struggle with pride, you will struggle to extend forgiveness, and you will also struggle to ask for forgiveness. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? To ask for forgiveness. Because what are we really saying? I am wrong. And we come out of the womb kicking and screaming, don't we? When you say, I am wrong, here's what you're doing. And this is so risky to the flesh. You are handing control over to the other person. Now, we get this. God's in control. We get this. He's sovereign. Amen, 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 amen. But when I go to Rob and I have to humble myself and I say, I was wrong here. Boy, my pride takes a dent. I get knocked down a notch. And it's a little risky to my flesh because I'm handing him control. But our response should not be dictated on what we think the other person's response is going to be. Our response must be biblical, and we need to forgive, and we need to ask for forgiveness. Because both of those, if we are not asking for forgiveness, now we're living in pride. And pride is one of the biggest prison cells they got going these days. You may not need to extend per se right now, but maybe you're on the other end. And maybe tonight, right now, as the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, perhaps right now, He's speaking to you going, you need to ask for forgiveness from that person. Now, your dilemma right now, or really your opportunity right now, in the flesh it's a dilemma, It's a big dilemma in the flesh. But your opportunity right now is going, I got the opportunity to humble myself and to go to them and show off God's mercy and show off God's glory and show off His love and His grace and redemption. And I'm not going to be worried about what they're going to say in response. I'm just going to go be obedient and I'm going to go do the right thing. I believe that's going to be blessed greatly by the Lord even if the response is not what you would like. Write down James 4, verse 6. James 4, verse 6. I alluded to it earlier today. James 4, 6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the who? To the humble. Remember that word opposing means this, in direct opposition to. So think about that as we paint the picture no matter what side of the fence you're on, we got to remember that we got to set ourselves free by forgiving others, by asking for forgiveness, by forgiving ourselves. We got to remember this, that when we say no to that and we're going to rebel, remember, are we living in revival or are we living in rebellion? Which are, are we choosing now? That we got to understand this, that if we're choosing to live in rebellion, we're choosing to live in opposition to God. Now, let me give you the cliff notes on how that one's going to work out for you. Here's the great God of the Bible, and we're somehow going to go to war against him. Uh, I got uh, notes for you on that from personal experience. You're going to lose, and it's going to get ugly. So we want to surrender in humility and just say, God, here's my life. Use this time of forgiveness, no matter which side I'm on, for your glory and for your praise. Look at verses 23 through 27. Here goes Jesus, and He talks about the kingdom of heaven is like. And He really begins to drill down on this forgiveness that's so important. Here's what He says in verse 23 and following. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion. He released him and forgave him the debt. Think about this parable that obviously in this parable, who is the king? Don't overthink this. Who's the king? Yeah, God. God's the king. The servants are sinners. They're us. Filthy rags on our best day, right? 10,000 talents. Make a note of this. This was an enormous sum. Theologians debate on exactly what this equates to. But most of them agree to this, that the debt, the sum was so vast that it could not be paid. That's how vast this was. Think about this in your life and my life. This illustrates the enormous sin debt we have against God that we can't pay. Like, I know some of you are super talented and praise Jesus. But the reality is this, you and I, no matter how much talent we have, which by the way, the talents come from who? God. That's kind of ironic, isn't it? I mean, it's a gift from Him. We didn't like somehow go, hey, this is what I am and I made myself. No, God gave this to us to use for His glory. And yet, even though we have these talents and these gifts and these abilities, the reality is we could never pay off the debt of sin that needed to be paid for. Never. It's impossible. Couldn't do it. That's why God gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him, not just intellectually, but it goes from the mind to the heart. The heart gets rocked. The heart gets transformed. You get laid on that operating table and you say, oh, Jesus, oh, take the clamps, rip me wide open. Don't give me a bypass. Give me a heart transplant for Your glory. And here you have this illustration of how vast... How deep, how potent our debt is. That's why key number two is this. Key number two, write it down. Key number two, the message of the cross is that our sin debt is so vast. Key number two, the message of the cross is that our sin debt is so vast, we are beyond self repair, period. That's the cross. When you think about the cross, it illustrates that we're beyond self-repair. There is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to save us from ourselves. Now, here's the reality in this revival that we're talking about regarding relationships, reconciliation, restoration. Every relationship will face storms from time to time. The question is, will you allow the storms to define your relationships? That's the key. All relationships at some point are going to face some friction to some degree. The question is, are you and I, talking to myself here, are we going to allow the brokenness of our relationships with one another to define our relationships? We've got to remember that our relationships are that billboard for a watching world. I mean, the world, how are they going to know the love of Christ if we as Christians don't model it? I mean, think about this. I mean, if we don't model forgiveness, if we don't model love and grace and mercy, where are they going to pick this up from? Bravo TV? MTV? Any of the nonsense that's out there? They're really going to pick it up from there, really? Of course they're not. I think the world unwittingly or maybe wittingly is waiting for the church to begin to live the message that they preach. I believe it with all my heart. The king confronted the servant regarding the debt. The king demanded payment in the form that he, his wife, and his children be sold. I man, that's a high price, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing for you and I to individually pay a debt, but man, when it involves our whole family, what's is serious business? The servant begged. I promise. This is what we do many times, don't we? I do this. I promise, God, I will never do this again if you bail me out. I'll go to Africa, I'll live in a hut, you know, eat rice cakes, which tastes like, Styrofoam packing material for the rest of my life. If you just bail me out of this one issue, right? We've all done that. The king relented. He had compassion. He forgave the dead. All sounds good. Boy, if the story just ended there, all would be well, right? But what happens to our broken, prideful, sinful flesh? Boy, it rears its ugly head, doesn't it? And look what happens in verse 28. Look how the script gets flipped from this same servant who was just forgiven an enormous debt that he could not pay. The consequences of his debt, because he couldn't pay it, were that he and his entire family were going to be sold. It was completely forgiven. And here's his gratitude. Twenty-eight. But that same servant went out and found, don't miss that, went out seeking one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying the same exact words. Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And verse 30, and he would not, but he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Now don't miss 31. So when this fellow servants saw what had been done, they were grieved, and they came and told the master all that had been done. Wow! Oh God, have mercy on our souls. I pray that myself and everyone in this room would not go down this path. We've been extended the ultimate forgiveness. Are we really going to go out seeking who we can punish, who we can hold under our thumb and our grip? Denari, one denari, one day's wage. A hundred would be about 100 days wages. A bit different, a bit different from the 10,000 talents, amen? And you see the comparison? That was forgiven, that was cleansed, that was atoned for. And yet here's 100 denarii. And he says, no, no, write this term down. This servant has forgiveness amnesia. And how quickly we have forgiveness amnesia, don't we? He's demanding payment from his fellow servant. And the travesty in this is not just that he's been forgiven and he has forgiveness amnesia and he's completely forgotten what the king has done for him as he's wiped out his debt, as he's cleaned his slate, as he has a new script and a new life that he can walk forward in freedom and grace and mercy. No, but he goes out in his flesh because he's prideful and he's seeking who he can harm. He's seeking he can hold under his grip. And the reality is this, the text says, his fellow servants saw it. See, people are watching you and I like a hawk. Especially in this culture today. In this culture today, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's relatively okay to say God in this culture. But you begin to say the name of Jesus, and the truth divides the room. As we say where I'm from, them are fighting words, amen? That's what them are. Jesus, He's the name that's above every name. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the one that will set you free. He's the one that can take your junk and take your mess and create it into a message. He's the one that can take your test and create it into a glorious testimony. And yet here's this servant, if we're not careful, if I'm not careful, talking to me, if I'm not careful, well, I can have forgiveness, amnesia, And now I go on the prowl. And as I go on the prowl, seeking who I can harm, seeking who I can destroy, I have such blinders on. That's what the enemy does, right? I mean, the blinders, just blindness, we are deceived. We're calling God a liar. We're seduced. We're deluded. We are deceived. As we're walking this path, we are drinking the metaphorical Kool-Aid. We're not seeing anything other than where we want to go. And when that happens... The wreckage and the carnage that's all around us from our decisions and behind us is devastating. You say, How do you know? Well, right here in the text, it says this his fellow servants were watching. They're watching. They're not looking for you and I to be perfect, but when we do fall as true believers, we should be the first ones to go, Man, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that in that meeting. And my flesh and my pride just welled up on the side of me. And, I mean, I've been in those situations where like that happens, and man, that's just glorious, where people are forgiving one another, and they're coming together. and I mean, it's, it's almost like fun, if that makes sense. Like, it's fun. We're seeing people get restored. I mean, that's the whole point of ministry, isn't it? You know, we're seeing people run to the cross of Jesus Christ. Oh, that's so fun. But so many times that even inside the church, inside my life, boy, I cling to the forgiveness I'm given, but I'm not so free to extend it like I should be. Those servants, they're watching. People are watching me and you. How we will react. We must be on our guard. That's why key number three, write it down. Key number three. Here it is, key number three. I will never totally forgive others I will never totally forgive others until I first come face to face with the severity of my own sin. Key number three, I will never totally forgive others until I first come face to face with the severity of my own sin. I call this the great humbler. Like when I look in the mirror and I get really honest and really open... Boy, that's, that's humbling, isn't it? Like, can't fool God, can't fool the guy in the mirror. I can fool you. I can't fool God, and I can't fool the guy in the mirror. And when I get honest and open, man, that's humbling. Man, it's, it's just the pride just begins to go out. I made these notes. Just listen closely. I pray they'll encourage you but challenge you. We typically condemn other people's sin and yet we typically rationalize our own sin. We will say we forgive, but inwardly we still hang on to the wrong to self-protect. That's pride. We don't protect ourselves. God does. So now as the person who has been wronged and who was wronged, we are now living in sin as we are now playing God. Bless you. And now... We, as the one who was wronged, are now doing the bidding of the enemy. This is self-righteous living, and I believe this makes Jesus nauseous. We are often blinded to our own sin and enlightened to the sin of others. I call this the yeah-but syndrome. You guys ever play the yeah-but syndrome game? Uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, but, yeah, but. We start sounding like the rabbit, don't we? Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah but. It's the yeah but. yeah, but. It's that past that buck society. The servant whose sin debt was 10,000 talents was far greater than his fellow servant's sin debt of just 100 denarii. Often we hold on to and resist forgiving others over sin that we secretly are currently struggling with ourselves or have struggled with in the past. If anything, we should have more empathy and more compassion, amen? That's why key number four for revival is this. People are watching how I forgive or how I don't forgive. Key number four. People are watching how I forgive or how I don't forgive. Think about John 8, 1 through 11. I won't read all of this for sake of time, but just think about this for a moment. John 8, 1 through 11. Such a powerful text. And you know the story. There's the woman caught in adultery and there Jesus is and the accusers bring her and he begins to ride in the sand. And one by one they leave, don't they? And he asks this question. He says, where are your accusers? Just him and her. See, at some point, we're going to be faced with just Jesus, aren't we? And Jesus says these words in that text. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He doesn't make an excuse for her. He forgives, but he puts on a deep theological truth. Don't keep sinning. Repent. Turn from that. Repent as you're going in one direction and you see where you're headed into sin and you make a complete about face and you go the opposite direction. As Jesus there is showing her the forgiveness as He stoops in that ground and writes on the ground. and There's so many thoughts on what He was doing. Perhaps He was writing down their sins. Because it's amazing when we see our sins We're not so eager to condemn others. Amen. Key number five. Here it is. Key number five. Hanging on to someone's sin against me. Key number five. Hanging on to someone's sin against me will not make my pain go away. Won't happen. Hanging on to someone's sin against me will not make my pain go away. You may be severely hurt right now and saying, I can't let this go. You're right. You can't, but God can. Extending total forgiveness is all about trusting God. Don't miss that point. Extending total forgiveness in your life today is all about trusting God because you can't do it, I can't do it. We're trusting God to part that Red Sea, that, that person that's harmed you, that they've done horrible things perhaps. We can't do it. There's not enough strength in our brokenness to do it, but Jesus can as we trust Him. As we daily have to choose faith over fear, which one are you going to choose? Every day, every moment of every day, you and I have to choose faith or fear. Those are our two options. Which one are you going to choose? Am I going to choose to faith God and trust Him in all areas of my life, or we're going to cherry pick? Well, I'll trust Him here. That's kind of easy. Oh, this one's really hard to trust Him. I'm not going to go there. That's not how this works. We're going to either choose Him by faith or we're going to choose fear of the enemy. We think that if we hold on to the hurt, that we will not be hurt again. But in the end, everyone involved gets more hurt. The more you think about a transgression, have you noticed this in the battlefield of the mind, in the circus between our ears? The more we think about it, the bigger it becomes. Then we think about it, the seeds planted, and before you know it, before the basketball game is over tonight... That small little problem that was a mustard seed, so to speak, is now an oak tree in our minds. Because we've made it huge. We've rationalized and feasted on it. No, feast on God. Feast on His glory. Feast on His praise. Feast on His Word. That's why the last part says this as we conclude Luke, excuse me, Matthew, this great text in Matthew 18. Look at verses 32 through 35. Here it is, the last part. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. 35. So my heavenly Father also will do to each of you from his heart that does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Here it is, key number six. Write this down, key number six. The sin of my unforgiveness will cost me greatly. The sin of my unforgiveness will cost me greatly. I don't know if you noticed this, but as we're winding this down here, bringing this to a crescendo, that the king called the servant wicked. Now, some of you may be from New England. Any New Englanders here tonight? Okay, no new englers. Okay, uh, yeah, up there a lot of times uh, wicked is kind of a connotation for cool. Uh, God is not complimenting. The king is not complimenting the servant. He's calling him wicked, evil, detestable. The master reminds the servant of the forgiveness that was extended to him. He must be delivered to the torturers. Someone once said this years ago and it never left my mind, but they said this, they said bitterness is like you drinking the poison while you wait for the other person to die. It was once said that bitterness, unforgiveness, is like you drinking the poison while you're waiting for the other person to die. Boy, how true that is. That's why lastly, key number seven... Here we go. Key number seven, as we begin to run to the cross of Jesus Christ. Key number seven, when I understand the gravity of the vertical forgiveness, don't miss that. When I understand the gravity of the vertical forgiveness, I joyfully will extend horizontal forgiveness. Let me say that again. The last key, key number seven. When I understand the gravity of the vertical forgiveness, vertical, I joyfully will extend horizontal forgiveness. See, forgiveness, church family, is the key, I believe, to revival, to awakening, to reconciliation, to your home being restored, to the marriage that's on the rocks being restored, to the relationships at work. It's all about forgiveness. Forgiving and asking for forgiveness rooted in humility as pride is crucified, as we go to war against our pride. That's why in conclusion, I want to just read you a few thoughts that I pray will stir in your heart. Listen to these here as God has spoken to my heart and I pray that it will benefit you as well. Here it is. The only way to be free from someone's hurt against you is to ask God to give you the strength to trust Him completely and release you from the hurt they have inflicted upon you. If you are keeping a mental scorecard of the wrong someone has committed against you, two things. Number one, you are living in sin. Number two you are unwittingly living in that self-imposed prison that we talked about, and you don't even realize it. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says this about love. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Our depraved, sinful nature wants to be in control at all times, even in control of our pain. But if we attempt to manage our pain, our pain will begin to manage us. If you have never truly repented of your sin and received God's forgiveness through grace by faith, how will you give to others that which you yourself do not possess? You can't give away that which you yourself do not possess. The landmine from Satan is that your sin, my sin, is not nearly as bad as someone else's sin. We love to rationalize. But no one lies better to me than I lie to me. I need to extend forgiveness with the same tenacious eagerness that I seek forgiveness from the Lord. Seven words that will resurrect any relationship. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Aren't you glad that we aren't judged with the same merciless judgment that we often judge others? I want you to imagine here as we close. I want you to imagine. Imagine that behind me is a screen. It's a large screen. One of the biggest screens you can imagine. And on that screen is each one of us from birth till now. Every sinful thought, every sinful action, everything we've done against God is replayed on this screen for all to see. I don't know about you, but I'll get honest and open. That would be one sorry day for me. And aren't you glad that on that screen, when Jesus Christ went to Golgotha, when he went to Calvary, the place of the skull, that He took all my sin that was on the screen. And He took it and He wiped it for as far as the east is to the west. And again, we bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It is well with our soul. Amen. Should we confront sin? Amen. But we must do it with Galatians 6.1 in mind. Brethren, if a man has overtaken any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you yourself also be tempted. So here's my thought in conclusion. I'm a preacher, so I have at least three conclusions. Amen? This is from the great theologian... Richard Nixon. That was a joke. Here's what he said from the midst of his pain in the midst of his brokenness. I don't know what his spiritual condition was like, but I know this quote, and it's a powerful one. Here's what he said. Always remember that others may hate you, but those who hate you don't win unless you hate them, and then you destroy yourself. End quote. Who do you need to forgive right now? Who do you need to forgive right now? Who do you need to write down on that piece of paper right now? Who is it? Who right now is God saying, that's the name? Or God saying, that's the name you need to go to? Who is it right now? What secret sin, what indwelling sin do you need to write down right now on that piece of paper to be set free? I mean, who in their right mind would want to leave here tonight continuing in a self imposed prison? It doesn't make any logical sense. Don't you want to be set free? Don't you want to get this straightened out tonight and put this behind you and begin to live the life God has called you to, to be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, our Lord? That's why I conclude with this poem. You might have heard it. It was written by a woman by the name of Linda Ellis. It's entitled, The Dash. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke the following date with tears. But He said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time that they had spent alive on earth and now only those who love them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not, don't miss this, how much you own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that still can be rearranged. If we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real and always try to understand the way that other people feel. And be less quick to anger and show appreciation more. And love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect. And more often wear a smile. Remembering that this special dash might only last just a little while. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash. Would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash how are you spending your dash no really how are you spending your dash is it for God's glory is it to make much of him is it to give fame to his name the one who took your place